Right, good morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90, the book of Psalms, and we're looking this morning at Psalm 90. So it's a special service today, as you may have noticed, uh, more singing, more prayers, uh, testimonies, it's because it's a special day. It's a very significant day for all of us, and probably you want to congratulate yourself Congratulate others whom you know, because we've had a massive achievement. We all completed one more revolution around the sun on this spinning ball called planet Earth. Another year in the books, another chance to hit reset and hope for better. It's funny, isn't it? how the change in the calendar year gets us all excited. Even in the world around us, people are getting in the party zone today. It gets our hopes up. When in fact, as the years roll by, we should actually be reminded that time is passing. We are getting older. We are running out of time. I saw this interesting exercise. Maybe you can try it. Uh, if you turn 30, all right, if you turn 30 in 2022, then you should know that your birth date, the day you were born, is closer to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy than it is to today. If you turn 60, there's a few of you, in the year 2022, Get ready for this. Your birth date is closer to the sinking of the Titanic than it is to today. I'm not going to tell you the year of my birth, but I found out that my birth date is closer to World War II than it is to today. Friends, as another year passes us by, we're getting old. Time is passing us by. I was in a conversation with a child a, a, a few days ago, and you know, children tell the truth, right? So he's looking at me and he said, Pastor Aubrey, you're the same age as my dad. I said, yeah. He said, but you look so much older. You got all this white stuff on your beard. And I said, well, yeah, hopefully it means that I'm wise. Friends, today's text shows us how to gain a heart of wisdom. How to not just grow old, but to grow wise. Let me read to you from Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers." 
For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The key verse here is verse 12. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so as we come to the end of another year, as time passes us by in this weary world, in this fleeting life, Friends, this psalm shows us how to gain a heart of wisdom. We must learn to number our days. And we're going to see three ways that this psalm instructs us to do this, to number our days, to gain this heart of wisdom. First, remember God's infinity. This psalm calls us, to gain a heart of wisdom, and to do so, we must remember God's infinity. So the superscription of the psalm there, those are also the inspired word of God. The superscription tells us that this was a prayer of Moses, the man of God, as he is called. In fact, it's the only psalm in the entire Psalter written by Moses. So this was written about 3,500 years ago uh, by Moses, the leader over the people of God at that time as they had come out of Egypt, and the tone of the psalm and what it says, most people recognize it was probably written by Moses with, the God, with God's people when they were in the wilderness, wandering under the anger and wrath of God for their rebellion and sin. You see, an entire generation had been cursed by God for their unbelief, for their failure to trust in His promises. They were all to wander in this wilderness for 40 years, and they would die in the wilderness. And so the psalm is a very mournful composition. Uh, some of you may have grown up Anglican or from the Church of England. This psalm is incorporated as part of the Church of England's funeral service. It's a psalm that pastors often go to at burials by the graveside. And Moses begins the psalm, by turning our eyes upward to the eternality, the sheer infinity 
of God. Verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A few years ago, we were in Turkey, and uh, we had the joy of staying in a town called Antalya, which used to be called Atalia, and it's the town from which uh, the Apostle Paul sets sail in, in one a scene in the book of Acts. And we went to the actual port uh, from which Paul and his companions set sail. And it's really beautiful over there, and from the port you could look out and see this entire range of mountains overlooking the sea. And as we stood there, Nishikas and my wife said to me, you know, Aubrey, isn't it amazing to think that all those years ago, Paul set sail from here, and he, he's looking at these same mountains that we see right now. Those mountains have been there thousands of years. Thousands of years. You get the same sense, don't you, when you go out to the desert sometimes, and if you spend your time a little more pensive and, and thinking, you realize, how long has this desert been here? Since ages and ages past, these dunes have been around. But before all that, before the mountains were formed and took shape, before the earth was formed and established, before the stars were set in place, there was God. The Lord, He is the one who is always there. He is the same God in every generation. Moses, writing this psalm 3,500 years ago, is praying to and worshipping the same God that we worship today. No change in Him. God does not change. Not a hint of change in Him. The psalm says, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He has no beginning. He will have no end. He is the Lord of days. He is outside time. He is the Lord of time. Everlasting, infinite, unchangeable. And here's what is glorious about that. This eternal, everlasting, infinite, unchanging God, He is our refuge. He is the believer's refuge. The psalm begins with Moses saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And like I said, these people were a pilgrim people. God's people are always pilgrims, always expats. Friends, we're not just expats in the UAE, but if you're a Christian, we are expats in this world. Yet He is our refuge. He is our safe place our dwelling, our comfort. As one pastor says, he is our home. Remember that when the trials of this world weigh you down. When you look back and see that another year has passed and another set of dreams has been crushed, the eternal, unchanging, infinite God is our refuge and our home. What a comfort. And yet, while God's infinity can be wonderfully comforting, it should also be incredibly humbling. Because as Moses shows us God's infinity, he also shows us the fact that we are finite. 
as we behold God in His awesome transcendence, we begin to realize our fleeting transience. God is the Lord of time, He's the Lord of years, but our lives are a mere breath before Him. And the immediate effect of recognizing God's infinity is that we realize how frail and how fragile we are. And here, in order to give us a better picture of God's infinity, Moses points us to our own finitude and fragility. And he uses five images, one after the other, to contrast God's infinity with our frailty. First is in verse 3, dust. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Look around the room. We all look very nice today. Look at yourself in the mirror, okay, ready to go to church. But you and I, made of dust. Just dust balls into which God has breathed life. We are made from dust. One day we will return to dust. You want proof of that? Just visit a cemetery. Like when you pick up dust from the desert sand and, you know, it blows away with the wind. That's what our life is like in the hands of the infinite almighty God. The second image that reveals this contrast here is time. Verse 4, time. Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. We are marking the year on the, new, on the calendar, the new year, 2022. That's 2,022 years since the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Moses wrote this psalm, I said, 3,500 years ago. But to the Lord, it's all just like yesterday. It's like yesterday was so fresh, so vivid in your mind. Most of you probably remember the whole day. To the Lord, thousands of years are just like that. Passed like a day in His sight. Moses talks about the night watch. It's like a watch in the night. The, the ancient world, the ancient Jews divided the night into multiple watches of three hours each. And so, you know, that, that quick passing of three hours where you fall asleep and then maybe wake up. That's what thousands of years, that's what all of time is like before the Lord. It's just nothing. The third image Moses gives us here is that of a flood. Verse 5, he says... You sweep them away as with a flood. The them there is referring to people. You can think of the imagery of floods that come, great flooding, natural disasters in cities, floods that come and sweep away entire cities or towns or villages. In the same way, the Lord sweeps away entire generations of people in death. Great civilizations, mighty empires, entire peoples swept away by death like a flood, gone from the earth. Image number four, they are like a dream. Think of a dream. Oftentimes you might wake up and you don't even remember what the dream was. It's gone from your memory. So fleeting, so temporary. You might remember it for a little while, if it was vivid, and then a few days later, it's gone. Not remembered at all. That's what we are like. 
in the span of time. And finally, the last image is grass. Verses 5 and 6, he says, we are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Grass grows quickly. It sprouts up quickly with the morning dew. And then as the scorching heat of the sun beats down on it, it dries up, is withered, blown away, and gone. Friends, what Moses is saying is that in light of God's infinity, that's what our lives are. You know, there's this great foolishness in this world and in all of us, inherent to all of us, where we can keep on living as though we're going to live forever. Right? We live looking at the things of this world as if we're going to be around here for thousands and thousands of years. And you will live like that if you do not ever lift your eyes from the things of this world up to the eternal unchanging God and realize, wow, I'm just a blip. I'm just a speck of dust. Here today, blown away tomorrow. And that's what Moses wants us to do. Look at God's infinity and realize you're gone like that. Moses and his contemporaries felt this every day of their lives. It was the ever-present reality among them. By one calculation, in the wilderness, 40 people, 40 adults died every day for 40 years. This was Moses' reality. It's our reality. Life is fleeting. I remember just last year, the day that the announcement went out that the selection committee was calling me to be the candidate for senior pastor of this church, that same day, I had a phone call with my sister. My dad had been having some health troubles recently, seemed like something minor. And she called me and she said, Aubrey, dad has cancer. And 13 days later, my dear father was gone. We'll look forward to 2022. Friends, we might not have. You might not have 2022. You might not even have all of 2021. Today might be your last day. And so we ought to have, dear friends, brothers and sisters, we ought to have a real sense of the shortness, the brevity, the uncertainty of life. You know, the uh, great poet, a great poet once said, depend upon it, sir, when a man knows he is to be hanged in two weeks' time, it concentrates the mind most wonderfully. And so the reality of our mortality ought to concentrate our minds. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to resolve to live well rather than seeking to live long. Don't waste our lives with idle regrets and vain pursuits. God is infinite. We are finite. But why? Why is life so fleeting? Why does He return us to dust? Why does God sweep us away like this? And the answer is because we stand under His judgment for our sins. That leads to the second way to gain a heart of wisdom. 
First, we remember God's infinity. Second, we recognize our iniquity. This is in verses 7 to 11. We enter the second stanza of this poem. It begins in verse 7 and it takes on a darker tone. The first stanza, as one teacher says, shows God eternal and man frail. The second stanza shows God wrathful and man sinful. We are reminded here of the reason for the shortness of our lives. The struggles and afflictions that we face in this life, all of the suffering that is in this world, all of it is because God stands against us in judgment. And that's frightening when you think of what Moses just said about this God. The transcendent, eternal, infinite, almighty God stands against this world, against human beings, in judgment and in wrath, in terrifying anger and fury because of sin. Why do we die? Why are we mortal? Why are our lives swept away? Because of sin. Look at verses 7 and 8. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. The word for in verse 7, at the start of verse 7, says that the following stanza gives us the reason for what we read before in verses 1 to 6. Why we die, why we return to dust. It's an expression of God's anger against human sin. The one true God, the God of the Bible is holy perfect, righteous, just, and blazing in His purity. And we are wretched, sinful, rebellious, evil. The sins of our hearts provoke His anger and His, his righteous anger and His justice. And this eternal, infinite God, He sees it all. He knows it all. Nothing is hidden from His everlasting eyes. All our iniquities, all our secret sins, did you see that? Our secret sins are before Him. Verse 8, all visible to Him. That person that you've been secretly lusting after, that website that you visited that you thought nobody would know. That half-truth that you told or a little white lie that you thought would be no big deal. That envious desire in your heart constantly wanting something else that is not yours. That resentment that you feel secretly towards someone else. He sees it all. Boys and girls, the hidden sins of your hearts too. God sees it. God knows. There's a father up above who is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. He knows. The hidden sins of our hearts are like bombs waiting to explode. And God sees it all. What is the result? Life is hard and death comes soon. Life is hard and death comes soon. Verses 9 and 10. 
for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Now we have to be careful here not to make a direct one-for-one connection between suffering and sin. Not every individual who suffers, suffers because they sinned. And sometimes the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper in this world, in the mysterious sovereignty of God. So this psalm is not tying each individual person's suffering to some sin that they did in their life. But it is saying that suffering in this world in general, all the pain of this world, of this life, the toil, the trials of life, the brevity and quickness of our days, it's all because of sin. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. The wages of sin is death, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. We take a breath and that's it. It's over. Gone. The reality of death, of trials, of suffering in this world, all a result of human sin. And notice what Moses says in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? When we are faced with the terrifying prospect of death and judgment, friends, we ought to rightly recognize God's justice and wrath. This is how we learn wisdom, by rightly fearing God, by rightly recognizing His wrath toward our sin. You want to gain a heart of wisdom, you want to live in the new year wisely, recognize that we must fear God appropriately and we must consider His wrath God's wrath, as one person puts it, God's wrath is as terrible as you imagine. And we must fear His wrath. He brings just judgment upon us. His wrath is terrifying. And so we do well to recognize our iniquity, to recognize His wrath, to recognize that He should rightly be feared. One of the great pastors in the early church, Augustine, said this. He said, the beginning of knowledge is to know yourself a sinner. So how can sinners like us escape the furious wrath of the infinite eternal one? This leads to our third aspect of a heart of wisdom we see in this psalm. First, we remember God's infinity. Second, we recognize our iniquity. And third, we plead for the Lord's mercy. Plead for the Lord's mercy. Told you the tone of the psalm takes a darker tone in verses 7 to 11. And the tone of the psalm shifts again from verse 12 onward. It becomes more Hopeful, more yearning, more pleading. In light of the great infinity of God, our frailty, and the wrath of God against our sin, Moses now 
cries out to God. He pleads with God in petition. He cries out to God and asks for mercy. And as you look at verses 12 to 17, you'll see there are six petitions here that Moses makes. Six petitions. Let's go through them quickly. Verse 12. That the Lord, he asks, so Lord, teach us to number our days. That the Lord would teach us. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Told you this is the key verse for the whole psalm. You know, human beings have learned a great many things about measurement. We've learned how to measure the distance between cities. You can get that on your Google Maps. Distance from one place to any other place in the whole wide world. We've measured the distance of the earth to the moon, not just the earth to the moon. We've measured the distance of distant, far-reaching far galaxies in space and how far they are from earth. As one pastor said, we can measure all the dimensions of heaven and earth, yet we do not measure the days of our own life. Only the Lord can grant us this sense. To number our days. To know that life is short and to live accordingly. The second petition that Moses makes is that the Lord would show mercy. Return, O Lord, how long? Verse 13. Show mercy. Have pity on your servants. Be gracious to us. Friends, oh, how good it is for us to learn to be humble and to come to God and to plead with Him for His mercy. To humbly call upon the only one who can rescue us from the toil and trouble of this life. The only one who can rescue us from our suffering and our sin. The only one who can rescue us from death and judgment. The Lord wants us to cry out to Him. In our sorrows, we must bring our cries to the Lord. Often, in fact, the afflictions that we face in this life are God's way of bringing us to our knees before Him. That we might stop depending on ourselves and depend upon Him alone. The third petition here is in verse 14. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. That longing of our hearts, that longing, that yearning deep down, that there must be something more than this. There's got to be something more than this life of toil and trouble. That longing for joy. Only God can satisfy that longing. Only God, only the Lord can turn our sorrow into joy. Only His covenant love can bring joy into our souls. And so we are to cry out like Moses cried out, Satisfy us with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The next petition in verse 15 is just that. Make us glad. Give us joy. Think about these people in the wilderness who were afflicted for decades. And Moses says, make us glad for as many years as you have afflicted us. God can use the sorrows that we face ultimately to give us joy. We are to cry out to Him. The hardship of this life, Lord, turn it to joy. Only He can. 
And finally, we see two petitions in verses 16 and 17. To display His work and His glorious power, verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. We're asking God to display His work and His glory. In verse 17, we're asking God to establish the work of our hands. And these go together. God displays His glory by establishing the work of His people and showing favor upon them. Friends, as Moses considers the infinity of God, he considers human frailty and sin, he turns to plead with God for mercy, and so should we. If there's anything that's shown us our frailty and God's infinity, our weakness, it's COVID-19 and this entire pandemic. Nearly two years now. And God will keep it going until it's had its full effect on us. Until it has humbled us in the way that He wants it to humble us. Until it has brought us to our knees in the way that He wants us to come to Him. God has a purpose in all of this. One little microscopic virus has humbled the arrogance and lofty pride of man. And so as we count our days and number our years, as we realize how fragile we are, shouldn't we be those who humbly bow before Him and cry out to Him for mercy? Oh, that we would be a people like this, like Moses, to plead with Him for mercy, to plead with Him to satisfy us with His steadfast love, to plead with Him to make us glad, to plead with Him to show us His work and His glory, to plead with Him to have favor on us, to establish the work of our hands, of our church. Would we not plead with Him for this next year? Next week, on January 8th, our elders are calling a day of fasting and prayer for the whole congregation. We'll be sending out a prayer guide if you, for medical reasons, cannot fast for food, maybe you, from food, maybe fast from something else, and spend the day in prayer, Saturday, January 8th. And we'll gather in the evening together to seek God's face in prayer as a congregation. I really hope you'll participate. We need His steadfast love. We need His mercy. And so we pray. But one question remains. How can we dare to pray like this? How can finite, fragile, wicked sinners like us dare to approach the holy, almighty, infinite God in His righteousness and plead with Him for mercy when we don't deserve it? How can we expect His steadfast love to be shown to us when we are those whose secret sins He sees? How can we expect His rightful wrath to turn to mercy? And the answer is, because God Himself has acted. That God has taken the initiative to pacify His own wrath towards us. He has taken the initiative to show mercy towards us in Christ, dear friends. And that's mind-blowing because you think about the fact that Jesus is God the Son, eternal, the eternal, spotless Son of God. Jesus is God. He is everlasting, just as this psalm says. He is the everlasting, infinite, 
Almighty God himself and the everlasting eternal God in Christ entered into our finitude. He took on finite human flesh. The one who is everlasting and infinite experienced the toil and troubles of this world. He entered into our experience, into our suffering. His days were spent in sorrow and grief. Not for his own sin, he was without sin. His years came to an end like a sigh. And he tasted death. Not for his sin, but for ours. Because of the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That all of God's righteous anger that we rightly deserve for our sins was absorbed in the death of Christ for sinners as he poured out his blood and said, It is finished. So that whoever repents of sin, turns away from sin, and trusts in Christ may be forgiven, may have hope beyond the grave, and may see the answer to this prayer. And so if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if He's not the Lord of your life, of your heart, if you haven't trusted in Him, I want to call you this morning to turn away from sin and begin the new year in the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ. We, we see the prayer here of Moses, the man of God. This prayer is lived out and prayed by one who is greater. Jesus, the man who is God, the Son of God, intercedes Praise for us. Just as Moses was interceding for the people here, for these sinful people, Jesus intercedes for us that we might receive mercy, that we might be made glad, that we receive favor, that our works would be established through Him. And one beautiful fact about this prayer from Psalm 90 at the end here, that we would be satisfied by God's steadfast love, that we would, be re that we would rejoice and be glad all our days. Friends, it will be answered. This is a prayer that is guaranteed to be answered. I don't know how. I don't know all the details of how it will work out in your particular life or in our particular congregation. But it will be certainly answered for all who trust in Christ in heaven. Where God will make us glad and we will rejoice all our days. Where His favor will forever rest upon us. For those who are in Christ. So as we number our days. And as we pray these petitions. It should increase our longing. For heaven. Where he'll make us glad forever. Where all the sufferings that we taste now. Will seem as nothing. Because they have prepared us. For glory. So as we close. You might be wondering, wow, what a sad note on which to enter the new year. Sad, sobering, reflecting on death, mortality, and our own sin. But friends, some sadness, some solemnity, coming to grips with the reality of this life is actually good for our souls. 
And as we hope and carry on into one more year, sighing, counting our days, pleading with our Creator that we might grow in wisdom, I don't know what this year is going to hold for you or for our church. It might be the hardest year of your life. Harder than anything you've ever faced before. I don't know. But we do know the one to whom we can cry out. Whose steadfast love never ceases. And who alone can establish the work of our hands. We finished one more journey. Round trip around the sun. I hope we remember we've taken one more step in our journey towards our heavenly home. Let's pray. Father, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and help us, Lord, as we enter 2022, resolve to live every day, every day for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.